Well, it is good to be with you this morning, and we are kicking off a series on marriage. And if you're into titles, you can write this down with me. Uh, well, I've already written it down, but you can write it down. Uh, marriage against the world. And uh, we're going to get into some stuff this morning that is challenging, but at the same time, I think it's so important to understand where we are as a nation, where we are as a culture, where we are as a people, uh, from the viewpoint as Christians, as believers. And uh, so I believe that we have to understand that as a, as a Christian marriage, it is a Christian marriage against the world. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that we are people who've said yes to Jesus and made a covenant with God, and then we are living in this world trying to live this Christian life for Jesus in a world that is not for Christian marriage, right? So I want to start off in Genesis because I believe it's important to understand and to be reminded that this was God's idea. It was God's idea who set up marriage. It was his idea for for a husband and a wife to come together, to do life together. I know sometimes we look at Jesus and we say, what were you thinking? But for the most part, it was a great idea, right? It was a good idea. And so we're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And I want to read something because I believe it's so important to understand that when God did this, he did this with a purpose behind it, right? Like everything that God does, he does with a purpose. And so here in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you, through the covenant marriage, God allowed us to rule and reign on this earth. God, that you gave us, Lord, every resource, Lord, everything that we would need to live a life to pursue the things that you have for our lives. God, I think that you set it up and established it through marriage. And Lord, I pray that today, God, that as people here that are desiring to be married, are married, have been through a marriage, and are, Lord, in different seasons of their life, God, I pray that you would allow this sermon to be able to relate to wherever that person is this morning. And God, I pray that as Your word speaks, God, that you would join peoples together. And God, as they would begin to live this out, God, that they would be able to be able to make you more famous today than you were yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want you to see is is this, is that it says that God said, let us make human beings. Us. In other words, the Trinity was involved in two people becoming one. That the Holy Spirit, God and Jesus got together and said, hey, this would be a great idea. And so all of heaven came together and created this idea of creating humans and then saying, let's let a husband and a wife cohabitate together, live together, and live and show the world what it looks like when two people who are from different worlds come together, look what they can do. And so God created husband and wife. 
And he created this institution of marriage where now we see that this institution of marriage has been infiltrated by the world saying that, that the different word, different sexes can get to, the same sex can get married and all of these different things have come in into this Christian marriage. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is that how we have, how, how not, I shouldn't say we, but how we are having to fight against a secular worldview infiltrating a, sec, a sacred worldview, I mean a God worldview. And that, that what happens is when those two come together, it's like trying to shake oil and water together. You can shake it as vigorously as you want, but you will never get a Christian marriage through the eyes of a secular world. And I was, I was researching something just to kind of like to bring this into context. And there's this thing called the mushroom. Uh, it's called this mushroom. What's it called? Mushroom? Honey mushroom. That's what it is. Honey mushroom. And what it does is it starts off as this little mushroom at the bottom of a tree. And as this thing grows, it gets on the inside of the tree. And it begins to, to start at the very base of the tree, and it works itself from the bottom all the way through the top of the tree. And what it does is it creates this little, it's like a white latex around the tree. And what happens is the nutrients, the nutrients goes in from the bark and into the tree. But what happens is that it stops the nutrients from going into the tree. So this tree looks alive, but it's actually dead. It looks from the outside like it's everything is great, but it's actually being deteriorated from the inside out. And I thought the golden mushroom is the epitome of the secular worldview. That it is like, it looks alive. We look at the secular world and we say, man, like that looks cool. That looks great. And we see all these different aspects. We see people who we look up to as famous, famous people. We look up to different people that we've seen in our lives that have been having influence in social media. I mean, you got all these different people. It's amazing. Okay, just, I got to stop for a second. It's amazing to me that you've ever seen, you know, you got people on, on, on social media and they have been married forever and they take a picture happy to tell you that they're getting divorced. I'm like, hey, we're sorry to say. It's like, really? Like, let's be real. The secular world can't even be real about divorce. And how that everything is like, it's all about, well, we've just chosen. We're going to work together, but we're just not going to be together. And it's the whole idea is that, that's, that you can do that. That you can actually cohabitate and be successful. And that is not the Christian marriage. The Christian marriage is saying, look, this is, I'm going to do it from the eyes and the design of God. And look, I know we've maybe made mistakes in our marriages, and, and that is not, that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is for you to own those mistakes and for you to say, you know what? I allowed something secular in my life, in my viewpoint, in my perspective, and it got into my marriage, just like the golden mushroom. Is it begin, so the golden mushroom is actually one of the largest living organisms in the entire world because it spreads so fast and it's so hard to kill that it takes over wherever it goes. So there's one forest, it had like, I don't know, 3.2 miles of, of this living organism all at once together. So, uh, you know, if you could imagine the size of Centerton, a complete forest that size living right now. Like it was a living organism killing trees every, wherever you looked, it was a dead tree, but it looked alive. And I thought, how, how crazy is it that that's exactly what the secular viewpoint of marriage does is it tells you, it makes you think that you're alive, but you're really being destroyed from the inside out. And I want you to, to see some things here. In, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 21, it says this. So, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. So now this is Adam, and he's already seen all the animals, and God says, look, you still need a helper. Like, you cannot do this on your own. 
You know, if you've ever seen a dad with, you know, a few kids, we understand why <laughs> he gave us a helper, okay? And then he goes on, you see the woman, she's like, this like no big deal. I'm like, really? Like, how do you do that? You know, they got an extra anointing. They got an extra rib. <laughs> I'm even kidding. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will call it woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now, I have never really seen this until this week when I was studying and something that I saw is that a lot of times we have this viewpoint or this picture in our minds of like when Adam was, you know, when he was there, it was like God said, hey, you need to lay down. I'm going to do something. You just deal with it. Like Adam had to submit himself to God's idea. And so as he does, he lays himself down, he submits himself to God and he opens himself up, right? So we see that Adam, it says that his side was opened up. And this is what I want you to understand is that in a marriage, this is the number one point that you have to understand. This is so crucial for marriage because I think that sometimes we think just because we're married, we're open. And that's a complete false thing. Openness is a whole different conversation, like literally. Openness, this, this is the point I want you to see there. It says that he opened him up. And this is the thing. The openness gives you it gives you, it, okay, the openness you give <laughs> determines the marriage you have. That really the marriage that you have right now, whether you're happy with it or you're not, has a lot to do with how open you've been as a husband or a wife. Because how many know that a husband can't change what he's doing if you haven't been open to tell him what's wrong? A wife can't change her viewpoint, her perspective, how she's, how she's treating you if you haven't had a conversation, if you haven't opened up. So right here, the key thing Adam is, is exposing is that we as believers, as Christians living in a sacred marriage, have to be open with each other. Like just because you said I do didn't create openness. And so many times we we've, keep in mind that a marriage has evolved over 2,000 years. Where it was and the sanctity of it and the sacredness of it to where it is today I mean, it's lost its sacredness. Why? Because of the secular world coming in and telling us how we should do marriage. When as believers, we should be the ones that set the standard for marriage. We're the ones that should say, look, this is how you do marriage. But we look at different people in our lives and we see how they've done marriage and we say, well, that would be a great plan. That'd be a good idea. But the reality is, is you don't know the turmoil that's going on in that marriage and you're trying to you're trying to copy a marriage that's destroying itself from the inside out. And openness is the key component. Marriage isn't minimal output and maximum input. It's not about me always giving, giving out and getting just a little. It's equal. It's me giving out as much as I can and return my wife gives out as much as she can. It's a maximum for maximum. It's not maximum for minimum. I know that's a great idea when it comes to other things like try to do as much as you can or as little as you can for as much as you can, right? Great business concept, but it's not good for marriage. Like it doesn't work if you do as, do as little as you can and get as much money as you can, right? That's a great business plan, 
but it fails in marriage. But this is what happens is what we do is we fall prey to the secular mindset. Give as little as you can, try to get as much as you can. And so you begin to put this expectation on your spouse with this huge desire and getting, and you're just giving a little, expecting a whole lot in return. So how does openness, how does openness happen? It happens by connection. Connection doesn't just come because you got married, right? Connection happens, openness happens by being intentional about your relationship. Like working on, okay, wow, I noticed that when you, you know, when you had this thing, you, you didn't really get open with me about it. And then making sure that each other, helping each other be open. Because, right, no one wants to open themselves up to be hurt. And a lot of times over the course of marriage, that's what happens is we opened ourselves up, we got the courage to do it, and then it was like poison or salt in the wound. I mean, let me just say, men, if you're struggling with things, you need to be open, but at the same rate, wives, you got to be open to be able to handle what they're going to tell you and vice versa. If if a wife is going to open herself up, you've got to be able to handle it with care. Like go read some boxes that handle with care. Like, you got to do that. When someone's willing to be open, you have to handle them with care. You can't blast them, even though it may be painful. And that's the thing is a lot of us, we want to be, we want to have open relationships without pain. And the reality is, is that my and Alicia's marriage is what it is today because of the openness and willing to deal with some of the pain and the things that we did not want to hear from each other. Team us. That's what this is, Jersey is. Team us. We got married in 08. Okay, y'all are trying to figure out, what is this? Team US? <laughs> no, it's team us. We got married in 08. And, and like, we have what we have, not because of just us being on a stage saying, I do together. We have what we have because we were intentional about the conversations and the openness we had. Now, notice it talks about this rib. And this rib represents a few things. One, that pain... <laughs> is going to happen in marriage. Like sometimes we think, we look at the secular, it's like everything is always perfect with them. It's really not. It's a lie through social media or through whatever influence you see. That's why five months later, you're like, oh, and they divorced. Like, where did that come from? They were happy just the other day. Were they? And you see what I'm saying? Like pain is going to be involved in marriage. And the other thing is this, is there is an innate desire to need each other because we are in each other. This rib is a representation that we are in each other. We need each other because we are in each other. If you you can't be open in a relationship, your marriage is going to be painful. Because it's going to always be someone trying to be trusting and someone else being skeptical. And this is not the design of marriage. God did not design it for us to not be open with each other, to not be transparent with each other. And let me just say, this is something, this is really sad when we have guys who have best friends who are more open with each other than they are their, hus- their wife or their husband. And the vice versa. It's like a wife, she goes and calls her girlfriends, like, oh my gosh, can you? And like her girlfriends know more about her than her husband does. And we wonder why are people leaving marriages? It's because your girlfriends have been encouraging you for two years to leave him because you've been open to her and not him. And this is the secular viewpoint. It says, hey, you should do it this way instead of this way. That's not the way that God designed it. God designed it for you to be open with each other. And in that, God blesses it. To be loyal to your marriage, you will have to be unloyal to some other things. 
See, I think we, we marry each other and we have our own hobbies when we got, before we got married. We have our own desires before we got married. We have our own careers before we got married. And the problem is that sometimes when we get married, we don't, we don't cross-pollinate those things. And so we're married and I still have my hobbies and we begin to marry those things. We're married with our husband or our wife, but we're still married to our hobbies, our jobs. Sometimes we get married to our kids. And we're way more committed to our kids than we are our spouse. I mean, we, we would much rather leave our husband than we would address our kids. Too deep, too quick? <laughs> cool. But it's the reality is that, like, where is your loyalty? We tell our kids, well, is not quite yet understanding this, but Jaylee's very well aware of, she knows that we love each other more than we love her. Some of you are like, that's just wrong. It's not, because there's going to be a day where she leaves And I need to make sure that I love her more than them. And it's the same thing for you. You need to make sure that you love your wife and your husband more than you do your kids because they're leaving, whether you like it or not. I know you can keep throwing them cash back. You can stay one more year, but they're going to eventually find the love of their life and they're going to leave. And you better love your spouse a lot. You better get to the place where you're open and you can share some painful points so that you could have the marriage that God intended for you to have. But you've got to be unloyal to some things. I know I've, met, I've had counseled so many people, well, that's just my best friend. Well, guess what? Your new best friend is the person you're marrying. So bye-bye, new friend. Like it's, like, it's amazing to me, some people, how they're not willing to let go of things, but they love this person. They're willing to do their undying love for this person and, and go on a honeymoon and do all these things, but they can't leave a best friend. And like, that's unhealthy. Right, so what are some things for you, for your life? What are you right now? What could you be more loyal to than your wife or husband? Because sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, as guys in in Arkansas, it's all about hunting. Like when rut comes, it's like, baby, I gotta gotta kill a deer. And you live your life for that, right? I had to make sure that that hobby of mine, because I love to hunt, but I had to make sure that that didn't stand in between me and my wife. If there was a day where she needed me, it's like, well, sorry, it's rut, I gotta go hunt. Like, you can be married to things when you're married. And we wonder why marriages fall apart, because that person begins to feel like you're not loyal to them. And see, loyalty has got to come back into the sacred marriage. It has to come back to the place where I am loyal to you over everything else. And when loyalty is there, I guarantee you, your spouse will fight for you. But when they don't feel like they're cherished, when they're honored, when they're respected, it's the next best thing. Whatever's closest, they're going to take up on it. It says to leave your father and your mother, implying that there are things that you're going to have to leave to get this marriage that you want. In other words, you're going to have to leave some of the securities and the safeties of this other life to have this new life. And what the secular world will tell you is you can have that and this. That's not true. Scripturally, he says, leave your father and your mother. Leave things that were, com- that, that were comfortable, that were, that were maybe security. To be able to have this, you've got to leave that. And we want, we want both. But that's not a sacred marriage. That's a secular viewpoint to get this and that. You have to be willing to walk away. And I hope that you as maybe single people, that you'd be like, well, I'm not in that relationship. Well, you may never be in that relationship if you don't learn some of these things. Because it, it, there, no one wants to marry a selfish person. No one wants to marry a person that they can't trust. 
No one wants to marry a person that they can't walk away from something else to join them in this marriage. And so we see here that, that you've, got, you've got to learn loyalty. Like we, we see these dreamers, these dream weddings, and we see these people who've been married, and we like, we dream about it. We see all of us, right? We see the old people sitting on the bench, holding hands, sharing a story, have one ice cream cone, and they're both sharing it. We're like, how did they get there? I promise you they didn't get there from the advice from the world. They got there from being loyal and open and trustworthy with each other. And we all want that. We all want that. But there was a price that they had to pay to get there. And it's, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to pay the price? So Genesis 2.24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. Key component, joined. To be one, right? Two, so now this crazy thing happens. Two are now one. But a lot of times in marriage, what we do is we look at our marriages as two, right? And so therefore, we begin to put expectations on them and not on us. But if you put an expectation on them, guess what you have to do? You have to put the expectation on you as well. Because two are one. So it says that they have been joined together. So here's the second point. The strength of marriage is in the level of unity. The strength of your marriage is really, at its core, it's based on the level of unity you have. Your marriage will never be stronger than the unity it has. And what I want you to understand is this. There's this, there's this idea or this thought, when we hear unity, we think of together. But you can be together and not for each other. And this is where we're like, well, we're together. Well, you can be together and be throwing things at each other. You can be together and, and, and in different rooms. You can be together. Unity is when you are locked together with one mind, one heart, one desire, one purpose. This is what he's talking about, two becoming one. That's what he says, joined two. Were one, two were, there was one, two, now there's one. And we have to be really careful with identifying and saying we're unified when we're really just together. What is unity? Unity is this. It's the state of being united or joined as a whole. You've, you've heard the scripture, two are better than one, like, and three are not easily broken. You know, three is un, unbreakable. Well, okay, that's great, but you have to be together to get that. Like, unity is not about togetherness. Unity is about oneness. There was this story that I was reading just on unity the other day, and it was talking about this big, like, it made kind of like a Clydesdale horse, and it said that it's a 2,000-pound horse, and it could pull, and it could pull 8,000 pounds by itself. 2,000-pound horse could pull 8,000 pounds together. And it said, but if you put two of these Clydesdales together, they can not only pull, they, they can not only pull their own weight in the 8,000, they can pull not 16,000, they can pull 24,000 pounds. Well, then I was having, after the sermon, this guy was like, hey, if you read down in the story, I, I've read the same story that you read. He said, if you read down, which I didn't, hashtag fail. He said, if you read down, if you actually train them for, for, for a little bit of time and they begin to both hear and they begin to get in sync with the voice of the trainer, he says, they not only can, can carry 24,000 pounds, it moves to 32,000 pounds. Because now they're, unit, they're not just working together, but now they're working together with intention. 
And as they do this, the weight increases. And here's the point, is that you two can be together and carrying, you're just carrying your weight that you can pull. Unity allows you to pull not just 16,000 pounds, but, but 24,000 pounds. But unity in hearing the spirit of God and being connected to God spiritually, 32,000 pounds. So what I'm saying is this is the secular world cannot touch what you as a person who've invi- invited yourself into a sacred marriage can do. That there's this big chasm between togetherness and unity. And a lot of secular, it's like we just, we're just together. And I'll share with you a little bit what together looks like because together is not unity. Together is like we cohabitate, we just do life, you do your hobbies, I do mine. I mean, you go on your vacations, I go on my vacations. I'm like, what in the heck? I'm sorry if you've done that. And maybe it's like a sister thing. That's totally different. But if you're taking your girlfriends on a vacation, so you don't have to be with your hut, like that's, there's some major issues going on there. Whether you like it or not, that's secular mindset. We are unified together as a believers. And we, we have to be really careful with allowing the secular world to infiltrate the sacred marriage. I can tell people didn't like what I just said. That's fine. Isn't that crazy? The, the Holy Spirit gives me things like, yeah, they didn't like that one. I'm like, hey, you said it, Lord. <laughs> you, you tell them. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was you. But right, it's true. Like we, we call ourselves a unit, but we do things so separated. Like we separate ourselves in so many different things and we call ourselves married. Like go look up the definition of married. <laughs> it doesn't line up with a lot of our viewpoints in marriage because we've allowed the secular world to infiltrate it and to, to, to taint its beauty. I mean, here's the deal. Stats say, you know, you've heard it, I'm sure if you've been in church, that there is no difference between the stats in, in the Christian church, in the American church, Christians at large, than a secular marriage. As far as stats go, there's the same divorce rate. In fact, it may be even higher in marriages now in a Christian church. People that are serving Jesus. I think there are some factors in that one. I think that sometimes pastors don't share with couples that when you come together, you were, you were coming together to fight the enemy. Spiritual warfare is a reality. There is one covenant. There's two covenants that the enemy will fight. That's you coming in to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And number two, you making a covenant with a husband if you're a girl or wife, vice versa. You know what I'm saying? I got to be clear. <laughs> I want to go. No, but but that, that's the power of it. And so it's so important, it's so important to understand that, that when that happens, you got, you've got to know what you're getting into. And uh, so, so we know that, that obviously unity is this power thing. But what I want you to do is this, is sometimes we think that when we get married, we lose our uniqueness. Like, I'm going to lose me. Look, you getting married, you don't lose you, you enrich you. There are things that your spouse will see in you that you haven't even seen in yourself. That will, they will pull out of you. I am who I am 12 years later because of my wife and her ability to see things that I did not see in me. And that's the power and the beauty of being together in unity. That you're, you don't lose your uniqueness when you get married. But you strengthen yourself in oneness. You can still be unique and together and united right? The enemy wants to get you so focused on what you don't have instead of what you do have. 
If you've ever noticed, if you sat down with counsel, I've sat down with so many people, and it's like, do you even realize? Some of, some of them I've had a counsel, and I'm like, I just laugh when they come in, because I'm like, this is what we're having an issue about? This is awesome. We can handle this. <laughs> but it's, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's so selfish. Like, you forgot, hey, you married someone, and you're supposed to be living for them, not just yourself. But the secular world, it begins, it begins to infiltrate into our minds and into our hearts, and we begin to become more selfish. It becomes more about you should do this for me, and you should make me happy. And before you know it, the marriage begins to deteriorate. It begins to dis- dissolve because it's not about being a unit anymore. It's about this individual life that I'm living with this other person, and they've, thank God they've got some money now, so we got more stability and now that's all it comes down to is it's the security side of it. It's not about the, the, the fact that you made vows and a covenant with each other for a reason. So I wanted to do this illustration real quick because I believe that sometimes we, we forget that when we make this covenant, like our marriage, when we say yes to each other, your marriage isn't fully protected. Like you as, an, as a couple have to create safety in it, right? Look at this team working together. Let's give them a hand. Look at that married couple. Wow. Um, you know, there's this thing that we, we really have to understand. There's this, there's this screen here that I want you to see, the sacred and the secular. And, and so, so these are some blocks. And what they're going to do, they're going to build this wall. But understand that if you can just hang out there for a second, Brad, and just, if, if Kelly just says, you know what, I really want to serve God. I want to give him, I want to make this marriage what it is supposed to be. And Brad, he's just out there doing his thing, you know, living life. And, but he's over here unconsciously watching his wife build a wall so that their marriage can be protected. But Brad, for instance, if he's like, she's over here building and Brad's like, hey, and he just keeps, oh, she just got hung quick on me almost. <laughs> Woo, you better not do that, man. But right, you, you know, you, you, it's like she's trying to build this thing and then, and Brad's like, dude, I don't really like that idea about it. And then, and she's spending all of this energy. Like what happens in this marriage? Why does it stay where it stays? It's because you've got one person putting energy and effort into it. And then you've got another one tearing it down by the influences in his life. It's not until Brad begins to pick up the blocks and he begins to come together that that becomes sacred. And this thing didn't get built because you said, I do. This wall gets built because you are continually saying, I will. I will give. I will serve. I will be what you asked me to be. I will die to myself so that I can make sure that our marriage is protected. Because this thing, the enemy is constantly trying to take these while they're building, they're turning their backs. He's constantly trying to take this stuff down. But you know what? Kelly and Bradley, they're going to know, hey, we just had something here and it got, where, where did it go? And now they're able to recognize Wait a minute, something was there and it's not there. We need to come together in prayer and believe God. And we need, to, we need to be in tune with the spirit and be like, there's something not right here. Something is trying to infiltrate our marriage. And as they do this, then this wall gets built between secular and sacred. Because I think we go into marriage thinking I do and this wall is here. And it's just like, <laughs> look what we have. And it's, the reality is it's not. Like they have to build this. I mean, Alicia and I are 12 years in, and, and block by block, we are having to build this wall. And our wall's not finished, but we're doing everything we can to protect it from the secular viewpoint of, world, of the marriage. 
like where they're coming in and they put pressure on you. You should, you should, you should believe like this. You should do like this. You should, you know, it's not just about being holy. You should be happy. If you're not happy, then you should bail. Back that up scripturally. Because that's not what the sacred marriage says. It says you will, you will fight and contend for your marriage. But the, the secular world just says, oh, you're not, you're not happy? Then the heck with it. And so this is what we do is we allow the world around us to begin to tear down the wall because we're not happy, so psh. And then, you know, you got selfish and selfless. Like, there's a huge gap between being selfish and selfless. Like, that's the whole point of it's like, hey, what do you want to do, Kelly? And Brad's like, I'm willing to do whatever I can do to help you feel like you're cherished. I'm just letting you know, all the guys, if you will make her feel cherished, you got all you need. They'll, they'll do whatever they need for you. Whatever you want, they'll do it because they feel cherished. They feel protected. Trusting and skeptical. Like when you become a skeptic of anything that your wife or husband says, go ahead and know that you are moving into the secular worldview of marriage. Like when they tell you something, you don't trust them. Like, okay, I need, to, uh, I need you to pull that up, document it. I need you to sign it. I need, it's like there's, when there's no trust, just know your marriage is tanking. But understand that it doesn't have to stay like that. It doesn't have to be like that. This is another one right here. Our money, my money, complete secular world view. I have been in sessions where people have said, look, I have an account here and I have this account and we're gonna keep these separated. Guess what I tell them? I'm not marrying you. Because I would never marry somebody who says that's my money versus our money. Because what that's telling me is that they are already not committed to each other. They've got a safety net saying, hey, in case this doesn't work out, I've got some bailout money. That's not sacred. I don't think anywhere Adam even said, and Adam had a separate account than Eve in case things got real bad. There's nowhere in there that we, but we've done, what we've done is we've allowed the pain of somebody in our lives who got taken advantage of to set up how we will live our marriages. And so we divide, okay, this is my money, this is your money. Now, me and my wife, just to declare, or to confess, we have our money and my money, but it's fun money. That's not anything to do with our bank account, with all of the, the things that we have in our, that's like, so I let her have money so that I don't have to be like, why did you spend $20 in Starbucks? It keeps fights from happening, okay? <laughs> but there's, there's these things that we do is we, we say, well, our money, my money? Like, where is my money scripturally? You just can't back that up. It's a secular world view that says, look, people take advantage of you. You gotta make sure to take care of yourself. How about you trust God to take care of you? Then we've got desires and demands. Like, it's one thing to have a desire. It's another thing to demand it. And then transparency versus secrecy. Like, your relationship is really only going to be at the level of its transparency. You can't expect your wife to open up to you when you are not being open to her, when you're not being transparent with her. Transparency is, a, is again, it's, it's very close to openness. But when you do that, the beauty of the marriage flourishes. It begins to take whatever God designed for it to be in your life and makes it that. But it has to require these things. You have to make sure, and this is just a few things. There's a lot of secular worldviews out there. These are just a few that I wanted to hit on to make you understand that 
these are things that if you begin to get into a relationship with someone or you are in a relationship and these things, you guys need to have some conversations. You need to have some really tough disagreements until you get to an agreement. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And then in verse 4, it says, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now here what we see is Satan coming in to his sacred marriage and trying to secularize it. What we see here is Satan coming in and saying, look, the God that you all serve is really not willing to take care of you. And he comes in and he tries to take something that is sacred and set up by God and tries to take God out of it. Right? And he tries to use the woman to do this. He tries to get, get alone, get the woman alone, get her by herself, and tell her that she doesn't need God and that God is not going to protect her and not watch over her. And when that happens, she begins to trust in something outside of God. And here's the thing is keeping it sacred, third point, keeping it sacred eliminates it from becoming secular. If you will continue to be aware of this wall that they built, if you will be constantly aware of, the, of this wall, as you do that, it eliminates things from becoming secular. Because look, we live in a world. We, we can't avoid the world we live in. But what we can do is avoid its influences into our marriages, into our relationships, into our thoughts, and into our minds. Because once it gets there, it begins to infiltrate and leak down into our marriages and into our relationships. Here's the big idea on that, is that God has to be involved to make a marriage what it was intended to be. And sometimes we forget that we said yes before God and witnesses. And we forget that it still takes God to be what it was supposed to be. That it takes God to be involved in your marriage. And I know for some of you single people, a lot, a lot of things, it's like, well, he's such a great guy. He doesn't know God yet, but he will. This is a dangerous place. That you, can, that you can assume that once you get him, because you're such an amazing woman, that you will lure him into serving Jesus. It's a really dangerous place. I would err you to, to move away from that relationship until they find the Lord for themselves. And then you can jump into that relationship. But so many times we want a, a godly guy or a godly girl and it's like, well, once we get together, then they, really? Like if they're not serving Jesus now, you have no business connecting and linking up with them. Like we're not missionary dating. We're not going out into the world. I'm like, I'm gonna find some guys that are not serving the Lord and I'm gonna win them to the Lord and date them and then I'm gonna marry them. It's a really dangerous, dangerous place to be. Look, just be patient and know that God is working on your spouse. He's making them. He's developing them. And all the single ladies and men say, hey, right? Just know that God is working some things out. Maybe he's working some things out in you. But a secular marriage, it eliminates the desire to honor anybody but yourself. Really, that's, that's what it came down to. Eve was wanting to do whatever she wanted to do for herself and not for her marriage. 
she should have in that moment, scripturally said, okay, okay, let me get back to you, um, Satan. I'll get right back to you. And she should have immediately went and had a conversation with her husband because they were open and they trusted each other. Right? If you see the difference between secular and sacred, if, if Eve would have turned around and said, hey, Adam, so there's a snake. He's talking. He said to eat the fruit that God said not to eat. And Eve would have been like, you know, what do you think we should do? And in this moment, there's this conversation and dialogue between Adam and Eve. And the mistake was when they tried to isolate themselves and said, well, I'm, I'm an independent woman power go go feminism like no there's unity there's supposed to be unity and when that unity was severed the fall of man happened and notice the first thing that was attacked satan didn't come to adam when he was out naming the animals he didn't come and be like hey i don't like you calling me serpent he he waited until they made a covenant because he understands the power of two people becoming one. And I want you to understand the beauty of your yes to each other. That there is such a beauty in it. And to let a world that doesn't know anything about what sacred is into your marriage, it's just a matter of time before it destroys what God put together. Because sometimes we think, well, just time I've known people, my parents were married 27 years and they got divorced at 27 years. I mean, they were, their kids are out of their house, living their best lives now. What I'm saying is this, is that sometimes we justify health based on length. It's not. You can be married 50 years and miserable and can't stand your husband or your wife. Because it's not about the time that you've spent together. It's about the time that you've spent together. It's what you're doing with each other and for each other that there's this openness, there's this trust, there's this oneness, there's this togetherness that's unity. And in that, that's where the beauty of marriage is. And look, this is the thing. Sometimes we can be, man, I, I hate that my marriage is where it's at. The great thing is, is your marriage can change today. Your chair, your chair, like, okay, here, I already see a foo. So this is the thing. Don't be going to your husband and be like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. Don't be going to your wife and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. The pastor's preached this sermon. This is what we're going to do. Don't do that. What you need to do is say, hey, I've been thinking about our marriage, and I love our marriage. I think we're great. But I would just like to maybe take some time to spend together, you and I pray, and really to see what God would speak to our marriage. And leave it up to the Holy Spirit to talk to them. Because they can say no to you, but they can't say no to the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, they can, but he will, he will, he will like, you go to work, that's what, Holy Spirit meets you at the cubicle. What's up about that marriage thing? <laughs> right? But this is what we do. We hear this, these, these sermons and messages on marriage. It's like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my husband, this is how we're going to do it. You're setting yourself up for some pain. Vice versa. It's, it's all about you guys coming together and saying, look, Alicia and I, we've been married 12 years for the last, I don't know how many years we've done this. We've we go on a marriage retreat and we spend time together. We have fun. Like we go out on a date, we go shopping. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's real marriage. You gotta marry someone that likes to shop, or at least for me. 
And we go out and we shop and we have fun and we get coffee and we do breakfast and we do all these fun things, but we take time and we say, hey, we're gonna take the next hour and we're gonna pray separately. And then we're gonna come together and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna say, where did we fail this year as a couple? Where did we fail together as friends? Where did we fail together as for, for other people? Like, where were we successful? What do we need to invest in this year as far as relationships and in people? And we talk about all this stuff and it's like six, eight hours later, we walk away failing some things after we look at it a year later, but realizing we did a really great job in some other things. But that doesn't happen unless you get together. And so many of us want what the world, what the Lord shows us in scripture, but we don't want to put the work in to get it. And I want you to know, look, your marriage will be what you put in it, not what you desire. It's what you put in it. And so I hope that this didn't discourage you, but this encouraged you to know that your marriage, your relationships can be way better. Even if they're amazing right now, they can be better. They can be more sacred. I think sometimes we, we think sacred is not fun. Right, like when you hear sacred, it's like this holy, righteous, like we got a, you know, type thing. But sacred is, that's actually what freedom's found. There's where, that's where freedom is at. It's when you are so connected to each other that you're so, you can live in freedom. It says that they were naked and not afraid. You know the no show, like naked and afraid. That's because they are not in a covenant marriage. <laughs> naked and afraid That's just telling you, like naked and not afraid. What is it saying? It's saying, look, I am so connected. This is freedom. Like there's freedom to run around the house naked. That's where the husband can be like, I'll mow your grass. I'll change your oil. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll wash your dishes. (laughs) Anyway. You can stand. We're closing. It's getting hot in here. Well, Father, I thank you, God, for every every relationship, every desire to be married, God, every every relationship that it is has been joined together in marriage. Lord, I pray for those that are in different seasons of their lives, God, and I pray that that God as we've learned this morning, God, that openness and trust and and having a sacred marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing, God. God, that you would help us eliminate and remove the things that are not supposed to be in our relationships, not supposed to be in our marriages, God, that you would reveal those things. And God, give us the courage and the strength, strength to have conversations that may be tough, God, that may be awkward at times, but God, I think that it would heal and it would bring hope and courage into this relationship, Lord. I thank you, God, for what you've made marriage, and God, help those that are struggling in their marriages, God. I pray that you would help them, give them grace, God, as a husband or a wife to hold on to your word and and to pray and to believe that their spouse has the capacity to change and to hear your voice. We pray for healing right now in those marriages. God, we pray for those that are strong. We pray that you would strengthen them even more, God, that we would go from 8,000 to 16,000 to 32,000 pounds of power because of unity. 
Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that it's only in that that marriage can even exist. So we love you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing and how you're working. If there's anybody in here under the sound of my voice that you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and this morning you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to commit my life and my heart to him. Maybe you've prayed this prayer in the past, but it was just a prayer. It was just something that you said. It wasn't true a true commitment to live out your life and your faith for him. And this morning you're saying, look, I need to really give my life over to him. I'm, I'm not just recommitting my life. I'm giving my life back over to him fully. If that's you this morning, if you would slip up your hand, if you're either one of those people this morning, I just want to pray with you this morning. Say, that's me. I want to recommit my life to God or I want to give my life over to Jesus completely. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing, even in this moment right now, God. Healing hearts, giving people hope and strength for their relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.